welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. I know this is important at this church, and I have my real Bible, but I also want to make sure I preach with my apple, so... Where's Jorgen? <laughs> I was preparing for this uh, message this morning, and uh, Mark Warren had sent me this email just saying, hey, did you see this? Did you see the notes? I said, yep, got it. And at the end of his email, he puts, have fun with this message. And we're going through the letters that Jesus spoke to the churches in Revelation. And the last time I read those, I didn't see anything that I could have fun with. So my apple joke will be the only joke I make this morning. (laughs) So the last few weeks, if you haven't been here or if you... Uh, even if you've been at any of the other campuses that we have, we've been looking at those letters to the churches in Revelation. And we're calling this series The Bride, because as Jorgen wonderfully pointed out the first week, that we are the bride of Christ, and we're in this time of betrothal. We're going from the time that Jesus instituted the church to the time of his return, and that is the betrothal period where we are being prepared for his return. The bride is being prepared. So week one, we looked at the church in Ephesus. And again, Jesus always started his letter with something of encouragement, with something that they were doing well to build them up. And the church in Ephesus, Jesus said, I see what you're doing. I know that you're resisting. I know that Satan has his throne there, but you're resisting that. You stayed firm to my name, but I have this. And week one was about losing your first love and all about how loving Christ is more than just cohabitating with Jesus, that it has to be a passionate and vibrant relationship with him. Last week we looked at the church in Smyrna, and the church in Smyrna is one of the, I believe, two churches where Jesus had nothing negative to say about them, but just built them up and encouraged them, and the takeaway was about being faithful unto death. And I was sharing with the, the Manchester Youth Group last week that if you look at the word and the phrase being faithful unto death, there's this line, if you will, And on this side, there is no persecution at all. Things are just happy, rosy, good. On this end, you have death, dying for your faith. And the takeaway from last week is that the Lord says, wherever you are on that line, be faithful. Be faithful unto death. If your faith brings you to the place where you have to give up your life for it, be faithful. If it doesn't, still be faithful. So this week, week number three, we are looking at the church in the city or the area known as Pergamum or Pergamos. In this city, a lot like the other ones, was built along two tributaries of the Caicos River. And as we know, often big cities and cities are built along rivers because the water makes it easy access and things like that. So there was a lot of people in and out of there. There was a lot of exposure. And so in Pergamum, it was a, a lot like even Manchester or any city you might find in America, that it was a very beautiful and art-filled city. But at the same time, there were temples that were dedicated to false gods, to Zeus and to other pagan gods, right there in the midst of what the churches were about. In fact, I did a little research on this, and I found out that some of these temples, because of the presence of Christianity, actually became not used anymore. And they became sort of just these structures that weren't used for what they were uh, originally. So that's pretty cool. 
So I would like to jump right into the scripture if we can this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, whether analog or digital, if you want to go to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12. And I believe we'll have a portion of it on the screen, but I'm just going to read through this. Verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you with, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So again, you see this pattern, if you will, that you have this church here. And Jesus comes to them and says, I see what you're doing well. I see that you're being faithful, even in the face of persecution, where Satan has his throne. He says, but nevertheless, I hold this against you. Now, Balaam and Balak were mentioned and talked about in Numbers, particularly Numbers uh, 25, I believe. And Balak was a pagan king who wanted the Israelites to be cursed because he was afraid of them because he knew who their God was. And so he hires Balaam to come and pronounce a curse on them. And Balaam said, I can only speak what the Lord gives me. And he tried three times to get him to curse Israel, and he couldn't. In fact, he ended up speaking blessings over them. And so (laughs) Balak's like, what are you doing? But then he enticed Balaam with money. And what Balaam had done is he figured out a way to kind of come in around the side. Sound familiar? Come in from the back, sort of not right at you, but come in from a different angle. And what Balaam ended up doing was enticing the Israelites. And I want to go to numbers if I can, because this is kind of interesting. Now, I will just throw out there, I think um, some of the subject matter is uh, going to be interesting, and I'll try to choose my words carefully while at the same time wanting to be um, honest. And it's right in here, so I'm not... uh, I'm not going to share anything that isn't in the Bible. So verse, uh, chapter 25. And what I'm doing is just kind of preparing so that we kind of understand what Jesus is saying to this church when he mentions Balak and Balaam. So in 25, verse 1, while Israel was staying in, in that place, the men began to indulge... I'm not sure exactly how to say that. They, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burns against them. This is, in a way, what Jesus is talking about. But later on here, I thought it was interesting. There's a guy who walks in right past the church leadership with one of these ladies, just sort of right past everybody, like, hey, got, got my new lady here. And it says that one of the priests took a spear and drove it through both of them because it was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me with this? I just was like, wow. Imagine if we... <laughs> if something like that happened now. 
what Jesus was saying was this. Obviously, they weren't physically and actually worshiping um, in the same manner that the Israelites were. But what he was saying to them, it's a representation of not only like religious and spiritual compromise, but it was a religious, excuse me, it was a moral compromise that was occurring in the church. And here's the, here's the takeaway for today, is that the church in Pergamum, what they had done is they allowed the culture to change what they believed. They had allowed the culture to seep into the life of the church. And that seeping in turned into turning their minds away from the perfect truth and allowing it to coexist and allowing it to hang out there. So we're going to look at some of that this morning about how we need to be careful as well. All of these letters that Jesus wrote to these churches have not only direct application to them to whom it was written, but throughout the ages until he returns, we know that it has a meaning for us and it has an impact that it can make in our lives because we know that if those people in the city of Pergamum were susceptible to this, we're not any different than them that we can pretend that we're not susceptible to this either. So they allowed the culture to slowly come in and shift into change what they believed. Now what I'd like to do is just sort of give us an idea of what that might look like in our day. This is not an exhaustive list. It is not my desire to set up a list of do's and don'ts. That's not what we do anymore. That's called religion. But it is my goal to just sort of give us an idea, a framework of what this kind of stuff would look like in our day so that we can be A, ready and prepared, and B, we can take action and do what is appropriate and what is necessary. So before I go any further, I just want to pray if I might. Father, thank you and praise you that this is your word to us, that those of us whose hearts and minds have been made alive by your truth and by your love, God, we want to own and take seriously your words to us, whether they are, I love you and I'm with you, or whether they're, hey, I have this against you. So, Father, as we share your word this morning, would you have your way in our hearts and would you have your way in our lives? Would you speak to us each as we need to hear? And then, Lord, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to make any changes in our life that we need to? In your name, amen. So, again, just just take this idea that the church at this point been around a while And what they had done is they had just allowed stuff to kind of be there. They had allowed the culture around them, the culture of the world to be there and just be around them. That what ended up happening is they began to, A, just let it be there, but then B, it began to change the way that they thought about things and it began to change the culture of the church. So the first thing and the biggest thing I think we can identify with and we look at the landscape. Now the church that Jesus was writing to was specific, but because it was the seven spirits or the seven churches in Revelation, there was more than seven churches. It's a representation of the complete church of God, that Jesus is writing to the complete church of God these things. So he comes to this church and he shares these words. And in our day, Grace Capital Foursquare is not the only church that exists. So I think what we should do is apply this to ourselves, to our church, but apply this also to the church at large. And so 
this will make sense when I say this. The first thing I want to share is about sexuality. We know in our day and in our culture and in our time that there are churches that at one point followed the way of Christ in this area. But we can see and we know that there are churches who have changed their opinion and changed their viewpoint on sexuality. I was driving somewhere just the other day, it was Friday, and I passed this church that had the sign out front and at the bottom it had the flag, the uh, gay and lesbian flag, and it said open and affirming. Now you can look at that two different ways. You can look at it like they're just trying to appeal to these people, they're trying to show them love. But I know people that believe that, open and affirming, and their statements are not about loving them. They're about accepting them where they are with no expectation of change. And that is where the culture around us, because there's so much, especially in this area, that there's so much pressure and there's so much outside influence coming in at the church saying, you've got to conform, you've got to, even lawsuits... I think many of us are familiar with the Christian businessman or businesswoman in the Midwest who was a cake person who didn't want to make a cake for a same-sex wedding and how they were ostracized. I believe that they were shut down for a period of time or they had to shut down because of the pressure from the culture around them to conform and get in line. Now, again, I just want to lay these things out and just lay them out for us, and then I'll go back and kind of speak to some of these things, because I don't want it to sound uh, aggressive or hateful. Uh, We're going to talk about that in a second. The other thing is, how about dating? You know, I know uh, some of the young people, when I mentioned the word courting, they were like, ah, that, that seems like a foreign concept, but it also sounds like I just said homework or something. It's just something they cringe at and they want to run at. But even in our, even in, uh, now, specifically with the church, this idea of dating has even changed. Uh, there was a statistic that I was given that from Christian Mingle itself, from a dating website that designed to help Christians find one another, that 61%, so over half of those who would say that they're Christians, believe that sex outside of marriage is acceptable and okay. We can even see that in our culture, even in the church, that there's this redefinition of what sex actually means. And sometimes it's, well, I didn't go all the way. I, you know, I didn't round third or whatever analogy you want to use. And that somehow that's, well, I didn't cross that line. Wait, wait a second. Let's back the bus up here for a second. We're going to come back to each of these things so that we can relook at them through the Word of God. Having fun? This is not one of those have fun messages. (laughs) How about alcohol or drug use? Now, I personally don't know any Christians who (laughs) are of Bob Marley's church and are like, here, you know, this is is our worship. I personally don't know anybody like that, but I would suspect that because of Denver and all these other places where now drug use is uh, acceptable and it's no big deal, that we have to be on our guard for this sort of thing, that that might sort of, well, how do we view that? How do we look at that? Uh, When my family and I lived in California, the kid next door, 
had a medicinal plant in his backyard. And it was kind of funny. We had a few run-ins with him, but I never, never forget how he came over and knocked on the door one day and said, yeah, did you see anyone? Someone stole my plant. No, sorry. And it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. I don't want to suggest that. Forgive me. That's not where I was going. Or how about alcohol? Now, I will say this. Let's just get this out of the way. Drinking alcohol is okay. Jesus' first miracle was changing water into wine. We're not going to go into whether it was sweet wine and there wasn't really alcohol in it and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to go into that. Because if Christians weren't supposed to drink alcohol, why would Paul come to the Corinthians and say, what are you guys doing? Don't you have homes you can eat in and drink in? And some of them were getting drunk. He didn't condemn the drinking. So let's just get that out of the way. Because there are some who think that that is the case. Now, does that mean we're absolved of all sort of responsibility or sort of awareness about what our freedom uh, allows us? No, absolutely not. But look at our culture. Alcohol, it's everywhere. It's on our NASCARs. It's on our Formula One. It's everywhere. You can't turn the page, turn the corner without seeing some advertisement for alcohol. And of course, Hollywood glamorizes it and makes it exciting and fun. And there's never any uh, consequences. How about the environment? Now think in your mind how culture can seep into the church and can change what we think. That's, so keep that in mind as we talk about these things. Or how about the environment? Planet Earth. We just celebrated Earth Day. How many of you showered? I did. <laughs> or food. I, I am at that point where I'm like, Lord, why does it seem like everything we eat is suddenly bad? You know, I can't eat anything except eco-crisps or some sort of um, polar bear-friendly chips without feeling guilty for some reason. Or the environment. Uh, you know, go green. Which, <laughs> at my other job, we have this thing where we encourage people to have paperless statements, you know, because I work at a credit union. And yet, everything we do inside the building, we're printing paper like crazy. So, <laughs> See, going green is sometimes about going green and about saving the environment. How about politics? Oh, no, he didn't. How about politics? <laughs> It's very, very easy, I suppose, when you're in this platform to start, you know, speaking to your politics. Or, um, we have all seen it, there are groups of churches that are a certain way where they advocate for one side versus the other. We'll come back to that. How about money? Or our future? You know what, maybe I should just carry these with me instead of walking over. Am I making you nervous by my pacing? <laughs> How about money or our future? You know, again, I work at a credit union. We're encouraging people, you know, hey, we got this interest rate. Put your money in this. Save. Save for retirement. Oh, do you want to talk to this guy that we got? And that can permeate into the church, right? Now, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be prepared. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a future for our grandkids or kids or grandkids, that we shouldn't plan. But we have to be aware and be careful about what that actually means and about letting the church's idea about money and future and retirement seep into what we do. How about medicine? In science, this I think is a big one, and I think this came right from the heart of God. That how about medicine and science? It's very easy to see how medicine and how science and our culture has seeped into the church, and it robs us of what it says right in here. In our culture, it's projected that all 
sicknesses and maladies and things are just some sort of maybe chemical imbalance or it's something that can, can be treated by medicine. The faithful witness mentioned, mentioned in this, this book here, Antipas, or Antipas, however you want to pronounce that, he was part of the medical community, by the way. And did you know that the group of people that supposedly, as church history says, the group of people that brought him and accused him of betraying Caesar was a group known as the Asculpians, who were the medical guild of the day. And did you know that the symbol that the American Medical Association has is tied to this group? In this group of people, the Asculpians, that symbol represents... And the Asculpian, that name, is tied to a false Roman god. So the very symbol of our medical community is attached to this false Roman god. And then the one that we have, or if you've seen the one that has the double snakes, is also associated with a false Greek god. So that's where <laughs> we have to be on our guard and be aware of these things. How about your appearance or your self-worth? Culture seeping into the church. My friend Mike in the back there, I love the way he dresses. And I always comment to him about because he's a stylish young man. But if I take away from that, like, oh man, you know, Mike looks, always looks so good every week and all I have is this. Or if you spend a lot, maybe way too much time thinking about what you're going to wear to church... How about your age? Now, sometimes the culture can project this idea that once you reach a certain age, that you're not as valuable as somebody else. And we have to be careful that this can seep into the church. You know, I turned 40 in January, and <laughs> I've now reached middle age. As soon as I said that, my back hurt. <laughs> and it's been weird... To, so anybody over 40 is like, oh, be quiet, you. Um, <laughs> fair enough. It's been weird as I've just, I don't know if it was immediate, but I come to this place where I'm like, oh, man, 40, what does that mean? Oh, man, 10 more years and I'll be 50. And you start evaluating your life according to this timeline. At least I did. So I'll just call myself out under the carpet. you know. And I'm like, this is crazy. No way, God. I think of... You're Jorgen's parents, right? Yeah. I know they're older than I am. But what I love about these two folks here is before that I knew that they were Jorgen's parents, just to watch them worship and to watch them serve was awesome. And I look and I scan this room and I see there are people who are older than I am and there are people who are younger. How about your hair? You know, that's one of those appearance things. I don't have as much hair as I used to. And I expect it's going to continue to leave and flee. <laughs> it wouldn't be right to evaluate my self-worth according to how much hair I have. <laughs> or what if you're not the best at something? You know, that's the, the, the culture seeping in. You're not the best at something, so you don't want to step out. You don't want to do something because you're not the best at it. Now comes the big one. I'm expecting either amens or everyone to get up and leave. 
How about our entertainment? Or our free time? Bum bum bum. How about Netflix? Yeah, this is the fun part. Netflix or video games. They make it so easy, right? So easy. Only eight ninety-nine a month. Stream all the movies you want. How about video games? I was on Netflix recently, and I came across this TV show, we'll call it, that I was curious enough about to check it out, and it had a mature rating. So I'm mature enough to know what that might suggest. So I went into it prepared, like, okay, mature rating. This could be, I don't know what this could be. So I started watching it. It was the, and I don't encourage you to do this. I'm just going to say it. It was the Netflix original series, Daredevil. And, you know, Daredevil is the blind superhero. But the whole premise of this show was this guy trying to be a hero by going around and beating up bad people. And it was gritty. It was hardcore violence. And while I was watching this, I found myself just going, oh, man, I don't feel so comfortable with this. I don't feel... So write about this. So I turned away at the really, really gritty parts, but I ended up finishing the whole series. So we have to be careful. And the interesting thing is, is I was watching this one episode where he goes and he consults this Catholic priest, because I guess that's where his severity comes from, is because he grew up a Catholic kid. So he's sitting there talking to this Catholic priest, and he asks the priest, do you believe in the devil? And so I was like, I really don't want to watch this show anymore. But I said, you know what, I'm going to continue to watch this because this piqued my curiosity. Do you believe in the devil? And so the priest, trying to be funny, do you want the long version or the short version? And he says, I want the truth. And then the Catholic priest proceeds to tell him something that you will not find in here, other than the fact that he said the old name of the devil is the adversary. But then what he continues to tell him is not correct. It's not what it says in here. And so we have to be careful with our entertainment about what we allow the culture to tell us is acceptable and was okay. And there are people who are watching this. If we allow our culture to tell us what to believe, we will fall for just about anything. And it's important that we know what we believe. So what do we do? Do we run and hide? Do we go off and be ourse uh, by ourselves? Do we cancel our Netflix subscription? Do we burn all our DVDs and CDs? Only if they're country CDs. Do we run and be by ourselves? <laughs> Do we run and be by ourselves? Do we just hang out with only Christian people and just huddle up and be together? Well, we know that that's not what it is. Do we cut ourselves off from everyone that is bad? Do we result and reduce ourselves to finger-pointing at other churches that do that stuff? Or judgmentalism of those who are worldly? No. What the scripture tells us to do is what Jesus said in John 17. He said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them while they're in the world. That's where we get that phrase and that saying, to be in the world but not of the world. So what we do, the right response, as I already said, is not that we're of this world. 
because we are now made up differently. But we need to be in the world. We need to be a people that are honest. And we need honest and open confession. In James, it talks about confess your sins one to another. In 1 John 1 and 8, it says this. It says that if any of you say you're without sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth isn't in you. But if we confess our sins, he, Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from some unrighteousness? No, from all unrighteousness. We also need to be partnering with one another in willing accountability. And lastly, and probably the biggest thing as our right response would be to know what you believe. And the only way to do that is right here. We have to be a people that love this word because this word is Christ, right? He's the word of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. We have to be a people in the word because this is where we're going to find out all that we need to know about all those things and everything that culture tells us. Sexuality. What does the scripture say about it? Homosexuality is a sin, like it or not. That's what the scripture says. But the right response is not to attack or picket or say offensive things to these people. Because there's a group, I believe it's in Ephesus, where Paul is talking to them and saying, to the church, not to the world. Paul says, it's not my job to judge those outside the church. But it is our job to judge those inside the church. And what the Pergamon church had done is they allowed people to be in their presence who believe things that were false. And it wasn't that they were struggling through it or it wasn't that they were trying to figure out what do I do about this. It's that they were like, oh, you believe that? Oh, hey, come on in and have coffee. No. The scripture says that God created the sexual expression to be between a man and a woman alone in a loving marital relationship. Nothing else. No first base, second base, none of that. Anything else is not right in God's eyes. Uh, Because the scripture also says, when he was talking to the Corinthians, he said, don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you, or of impurity. How about the environment? I I don't want to go through all these, because I don't want to keep us too long, but how about the environment? Exalting something God created above the creator himself. The scripture tells us that in the end, God is going to remake heaven and remake earth. That when the flood came, it was the, the, all creation groans because of sin. So why are we trying to save something that's dying? But that doesn't absolve us from responsibility because the job that God gave Adam in the garden was to care for the, for the garden, to be a caretaker of what he had created. So it doesn't absolve us of responsibility, but not to the point that the culture says that we are going to exalt the earth to this place above the Lord. You know what I thought was interesting? The last thing about the environment. If, you, if your town requires that you recycle, do you notice that we wash our trash? Doesn't that seem kind of counterintuitive? You feel bad if you roll up with your recycling and there's stuff still in the bottles and everything. So we go through the process of washing our trash. How about politics? Taking on a cause of a politician. And so we end up siding with Republican, Libertarian, you know, whatever, uh, Democrats. Or how about championing their cause or complaining about the the person who's in office and about the decisions they're making? 
What does the scripture tell us? That God appoints people to positions of authority and leadership. And our responsibility is to pray for them, to lift them up, and to come alongside them. And it also says that this is why you pay your taxes, is because they serve us. And the other thing about that is that the Lord puts these people in authority, and they will have to give an account for how they lead. And we want to be people that come alongside them and pray for them and pray for God's wisdom because they will have to give an account for how they lead. We all know about money and about investing and stuff like that, that the Lord says what in Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. He tells us about money, not to love money because the root of many kinds of evil is because of money. Greed. We see it all in the church. Paul gave much of his life to grow the church, but also protect them about false teachers, false prophets, to warn them about those who would be among their fellowship, not outside there. People who don't know the Lord can only do what people who don't know the Lord do. But inside the church, Paul would say, there was, watch out for people who come in who are greedy and slanderous and deceitful and malicious in those things. Medicine and science. Did Jesus ever roll up with a prescription for somebody and say, oh, you can't see? Well, here's a prescription. No. Now, here's what I want to explain myself. Does that mean we go, next time you go to see your doctor, you, you know, kick them to the curb and say you're not worth it? No, of course not. I believe that God gifts doctors and the people that we go see help us. But when the culture tells us that there are no miracles, when the culture tells us that everything that's wrong with a person medically and physically is something that we need to figure out, we need a cause, we need to find a cure for this, what happens? We're robbed of the truth that our God in heaven gives us the power of his spirit to touch people with our hands to bring healing to them. Does that mean that he will every time? No. Does that mean if someone comes in and they're <laughs> with a cold, we all gather around them, Jesus, rebuke this demon, you know? No, we don't, because that would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird if I rolled up to somebody at my work and all of a sudden I put my hand on them and started just casting demons out of them. Oh, where do you go to church? Can I go? You know, I don't think so. <laughs> but the reality is, is that when our culture doesn't see it that way, it robs us of the truth. I'll never forget, I was in Concord, and I was at Shaw's, and this was years ago, and there was a guy that worked there, and he went into an epileptic you know, seizure, and I was two cars away, three, uh, however far away, and he was right there, and I almost felt like the Holy Spirit said, go pray for him, because I was kind of in that place where I was evaluating these things, and I was too scared. I thought too much about, oh, what if I go over there and, you know, do I cast out a demon? You know, how do I do that? And so I did nothing. And then the paramedics showed up, one of his coworkers showed up because they kind of knew that he was in that way. Well, I walked away with, oh, God, convicted shame, like, God, I did nothing. <laughs> and how about, uh, lastly, I'll just do, because uh, this, I think, is a big one, is our entertainment and our free time. Now, my goal, and I think the purpose, and, and God's purpose, is not condemnation. If he wanted to condemn us, he could. But because of the grace of Christ, those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. But it's true that God comes along through, uh, Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And 
our entertainment in our free time is not bad. I don't want to say that if you get on that game system, oh, you know, you, you're in trouble. But we do need to put on the mind of Christ and evaluate what it is that we do. Scripture would say, make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. The Scriptures tell us to be sober and vigilant, knowing that your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone who we might devour. The Scriptures tell us to be on our guard, to be aware. And if we're binging all this entertainment, it opens us up and it makes us susceptible to not only uh, drifting from the truth, but also not, uh, you know, to even more things than that. Because most affairs begin in a person's mind. It might be that maybe your spouse isn't as accommodating they're not as affectionate as they once were. They, there just seems to be like this, you know, friction between you all the time. Maybe you've got kids and bills and mortgages and all that kind of stuff. And it just creates this, blah. And things are not happy at home. And it's just this thing. And you go to work. And maybe there's a neighbor or there's a coworker who just seems to tick all the right buttons for you. And they laugh at your jokes. They comment about how nice you look or something like that. That's how all this stuff kind of starts. It's the same way with all these other areas. It's the same way with our culture that if we're not careful, we don't put on the armor of God, that what our culture says is right and is acceptable, just like the, the uh, church and the Christians in Pergamum, it could begin to shape what we think. And when it starts to shape what we think, it's going to start to dictate what we do. And when it starts to dictate what we do, it's going to pull us away from God. When I was finishing up preparing for this yesterday, I found myself just with so much scripture I could share this morning that I would end up standing here just reading the Bible to you. But what the Lord wants us to do is evaluate our lives as they are now. I am not telling you specifically what is up with your life and what you need to change. That, I believe, is the place of the Holy Spirit. But I believe that it warrants a response from us to, to be sober in this moment and to say, God, what about me? Do you have anything against me? Have I allowed the culture to shape what I believe? Have I allowed um, a thought? Have I allowed a way that is not in your word and of your word to come in and shape what I believe? Did you know that at the end there, Jesus says, to him who overcomes. First he says, to him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to churches. Then he says, to him who overcomes, I will do three things, really. I will give him a white stone, and I'll put a name on it that only he knows, that only him and I know, or she and I know. But also I'll give him the hidden manna. Now manna is bread, manna is food. Jesus said he was the bread of life. He is the word of God. Did you know that when Jesus comes to this church particularly and he says, I am the one who has the double-edged sword in my mouth. If you know the scripture, you know that it says in Hebrews that the word of God is like a double-edged sword, sharper than any double-edged sword. What I discovered is that 
in Pergamum, there was a time where they were prevented from using papyrus, or however you say that. And what these people did is they created a different way to record stuff on sheep and cattle skins that they treated. You know what we call that stuff? Parchment. These people were responsible for creating parchment paper. In fact, in Spanish and Italian, the word parchment is translated pergamum or pergamos or some variation of that. And you know why that's interesting? Because Jesus comes to these people who created parchment paper and says, I am the word. He appeals to them in a way that they would understand. You people who created this parchment paper, write this down. I am the word. I am the word. I am the double-edged sword. We're going to see in Laodicea that God, Christ, was purposeful about the way he addressed the church. And he addressed these groups of people. So it wasn't a surprise to them when the word comes and says... And then he says, if you overcome, not only will I give you a white stone with a name written on it, but I'll also give you the hidden word, the hidden manna. I will give you to eat from the hidden, what is it? (laughs) We have this spiritual name, it's manna. But manna in Hebrew means, what is it? The hidden, what is it? That, I believe, is what God wants us to do this morning in light of his word. Has our culture affected your mind, your way of life, what you believe to be true about what it says in here? If it has, Christ would say to you this morning, listen to what I say. Know what you believe. And let the truth of what he says reshape, reform he is coming and we want to be the pure bride that is prepared for his return I was talking to Pastor Jorgen not too long ago and in the church sometimes we do things because the spirit leads and then sometimes we're trying to just have a plan and follow the plan and if you're ever in a service and there's like an altar call or there's some response we can either wrestle with that or we can do something about it and my conversation with Jorgen was about I think it's appropriate that we make a space for people to respond to every single one of these messages that we preach about the churches in Revelation because that's the whole point, right? That's the whole reason why Jesus said to John, write these things down. Not so that we could just, oh, that was nice. That'll look nice on our website. It was so that it would cause a change in our lives. If we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, if we're going to be the church that is like the church in Acts, where people are being added to our number, we have to be on a firm foundation and we have to know where we're going. And I feel it's appropriate 
while these guys play, these guys and gals play, not to coerce you into something, not to make it look good if people come up here. That's just rubbish. But it would be wrong to just say all this and say, okay, see you later, have a great Sunday. But I feel it's appropriate that we come to this place and we say, God, what about me? If there's nothing, have a great Sunday. But if you know that there's something in your world, if you know that this applies to you, if there's something there, you're like, oh, you know what? Come forward. Have a moment with the Lord. I talked about willing accountability. If you need prayer, have someone pray with you. Don't let pride. Pride was the, was the sin that took the devil down. We don't want to be in that place where pride tells us, oh, I can't go up front. I'll just pray in my seat. Again, I don't want to force anyone to do anything. But at the same time, this space is open. And I believe the Spirit of Christ would say, come, remove your shoes, for this is holy ground. And if you need prayer, I would say, you know, prayer team. But if there's someone in this room that you feel comfortable with praying and you want prayer because you want chains to be broken, because you feel distant from the Lord, because something's just not right in there, come forward. Receive the whole reason and point behind Jesus coming to these churches. Be restored. Be healed. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.